Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, it's us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Joey Clark Radio Hour, folks. And I guess 39 years ago, yesterday, the man who created this song, who's playing the guitar on this song, one of my heroes, especially in terms of guitar playing, a lot of people's hero, Stevie Ray Vaughan, he told his bandmates on August the 26th, 1990, that he had a very disturbing dream. He had witnessed his own funeral in the dream. That evening, Steve Ray Vaughan, his band Double Trouble, joined a special guest for a concert at the Alpine Valley Musical Theater, along with Eric Clapton, Buddy Guy, Robert Cray, and Jimmy Vaughan, Stevie's brother. I mean, blues greats right there. After the show... Four helicopters owned and operated by Omni Flight Helicopters Incorporated were reserved to fly the artists and their crews back to Chicago. One helicopter was reserved for Stevie, Jimmy, and Jimmy's wife, Connie. Members of Clapton's crew, however, had already taken seats on the helicopter when the Vons arrived aboard. Eager to return to Chicago, Stevie asked Jimmy and Connie for the last seat. With dense fog setting in, the helicopters began departing at 1 a.m. Jeff Brown, the pilot of the helicopter, banked sharply to the left about a half a mile after takeoff. The helicopter collided into a ski slope. Everyone on board was killed instantly. So that means, I guess, 1990, August 27th, 39 years ago, if I'm correct. Or is that... 29. 29. Yeah. I'm bad at math, folks. It happens Stevie Ray Vaughan passed. But that's so crazy that the day before he dies in this freak helicopter accident, he has a dream where he's at his own funeral. And he was one of the greats, uh, by far. Uh, this guy, I remember my uh, Uncle Scott and Aunt Kim gave me one year when I was really starting to learn guitar. His album, Texas Flood, off this album is Lenny, the song that's been playing here. Uh, other songs like Testify and Rude Mood and Texas Flood. And there's so much on there that's good. It, he really was one of the greats. There are some people... Like, I read an article earlier today, and by the way, joining me this evening is uh, Eric. He's the guy who corrected me on my math. Thank you for that, sir. That's why I can't do a show alone. (laughs) 
Yeah, I guess it would be yeah, 29 years. It'll be 30 years next year. Um, there are some people that are, I think defy classification and all sorts of different you know, aspects of life. True geniuses. And not to say that genius doesn't take hard work. I mean, this guy was playing at a very young age. But I was reading an article where this study has come out that music has gotten worse and worse. They did a study of 1955 to like 2000-something. And they had three parameters, like timber and like dynamic range of the music and different melodic styles and chord changes. And they said music's become more simplified. And it's now like, you know paint by number and they're like two producers that are writing all the hits and producing all the songs or all the big pop artists which is true but I, I think they, they get it wrong because that's most of life somebody does something incredible and then everybody else is a copycat I don't know if music is actually getting worse if you're covering all music yeah we've covered this and it's not just in music it's in politics it's in uh, journalism. It's in everything. The more that we're able to, at very low cost to share our stories, write words, cover different stories as a journalist or a storyteller, make music without having to be really proficient, you're going to get a lot of crap because people are just going to play. It's going to be more of an intuitive experience. But I look back from, say, 1955 to today, there's been nothing but a revolution in music. Especially popular music. Yeah, I'm calling BS. Yeah, me too. It's. I mean, <clears throat> the only way that I could think that they're grading this whole de-evolution of music or whatever is the fact from 1955, it was hard to get music out there. Right. Now, anybody can record a song on their phone and put it on YouTube. and It's literally what I've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and my stuff isn't that great. It's not that original, in my opinion. But it's just me having fun, and I think that's what a lot of people are doing now. Uh, I think there is a commercial side to this, where one or two companies own all the radio stations, and they have sweetheart deals with uh, you know the different streaming services. And what they try to do is push who's going to be popular. Right. Uh, what is that? I don't even know if it's still on television. The four. It's. Uh, Diddy's, Puff Daddy's, like, record label with a few other people. Oh, I didn't watch that. Yeah, it's it's somewhat interesting. It's a different take on the yeah. singing show. It's kind of, it's different than, like, The Voice or where you follow somebody from the first round all the way through. This is more like we have our four great artists and people come on and battle them and challenge them. If you get through the first round, you can challenge one of the four and move on. And the whole idea is... At the end, after all the battles all season, whomever is the last person standing gets a big record contract and is iHeartRadio's Artist of the Year or something. Mm. But how many of those people that won that show actually go on to be popular? And I, I get worried that there are aspects of the music business that change. You can criticize the current state of commercial activity, but I think the best response is come up with new ways of selling music. Right. That get around that system you don't like. So I, I don't like that aspect of it. And yeah, a lot of the music sounds the same because they're going back to the same well. The same producers who have created hits before. Which, by the way, those producers are incredibly talented people. Incredibly talented people. As much as people bemoan pop music, 
like uh, we did this the other day, going back to like '60s bubblegum pop. Mm-hmm. Oh, people hate it now. Then who the hell was listening to it back then? <laughs> I mean, there's something catchy about pop music, but back to Stevie Ray Vaughan, he's one of those people in my mind that it's not about like. And the argument in this article is like it's not as dynamic as like the differences in classical music. And all the different experimentation that went on in jazz music in like the 40s and the 30s into the 50s. Everything's evolving, though. Right. And today's society, if it works, you keep doing it. Right. If if that guy does it and it works for him, then somebody else is going to try to emulate and copy. And, And that's where we end up with... All the pop stuff sounds the same. Right. And it's like a, it's a truly, no, nothing, nobody's really truly original. Like, unless you're, you go way, way back and you get the first, you know, big composers that are working with the church. And then you get the, there with like Bach and Mozart and you keep going in that direction. Beethoven. And... But you look at popular music, everybody has their influence. Uh, like, I found a great clip last night, it's only a minute long, of Robert Plant talking about Prince, and he's like, I don't think I'd ever want to work with the guy, because he's too himself. Like, you can hear almost every influence back to, like, 60s, 50s bubblegum pop, mm. and everything, all these different traditions get passed through this sieve that is uniquely him, and just drips his, like, erotic, you know take on the world yeah also mixing in god and i like that prince aesthetic some people don't fair enough stevie ray vaughn is the same way you can hear all these old blues players in his playing but he takes it to another level like he's one of the few people that plays Jimi hendrix better than Jimi hendrix he plays voodoo child better than jimmy and it's incredible i watched that clip earlier today when i saw this is the anniversary of his uh death and he's been such an influence on my life and for somebody to take that old style and it still resonates today and he's one of the greats it's a shame that he died so young he was only 35 when he died Mm -hmm. and again you go back to how dreams can forecast something that's actually going to happen in the world there's so much we don't know folks Uh, every now and then I'll get a call from my mom she's like are you okay Mm. yeah I'm fine what's up well, I had a dream about you last night. Hope it was like, good. Okay. See, none of my sex dreams ever end up actually materializing. <laughs> Why is that? I want a good omen here. Uh, this is a, a story, kind of a feel-good story. Um, website I haven't really known very well, but called ViralNovelty.net. I found this from DJ Fresh's Book of Faces page. Uh, Little Caesars Restaurant in Fargo, North Dakota, is capturing hearts and feeding the hungry with a new policy they posted with a sign in their window. Essentially what happened is they realized the homeless people, people really down and out, were rummaging through their dumpster at the end of the day for something to eat. So they hung a sign on the window, on the drive through window in particular. I'll quote the sign. To the person going through our trash for their next meal, you're a human being and worth more than a meal from a dumpster. Please come in during operating hours for a couple slices of hot pizza and a cup of water at no charge. No questions asked. I think that works. That's an amazing gesture. Mm -hmm. It's the right thing to do. And it works in a fairly small town like Fargo. 
I don't know how well that works in like New York City or Los Angeles. Yeah. Because apparently what's happened, you know how Starbucks got in trouble several months ago now where the, the two young black gentlemen were, you know, at Starbucks for a business meeting. They walked in, sat down, didn't buy anything. One of the store employees, the manager's like, you got to leave unless y'all buy something. I'm like, we don't have to buy anything. We're here for a business meeting. Relax, lady. And so she calls the police on him and became this whole example of, like, underground racism in America or mm. implicit bias, these sorts of things. And the police didn't even arrest him. They put him in cuffs, but just took him out of the store and like, okay, go. Like, we're not arresting him for anything. Yeah. You just got to leave the store. That's their policy. And it's private property. So Starbucks changed their policy. Like, you don't need a key code or you don't need to buy anything to go to the bathroom. You don't have to buy anything to hang out in the store. So what's happened, it, big, it works probably fine in Montgomery. Like, you can probably go hang out for a business meeting. That's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking, I was thinking of. But Philly, Los Angeles... Seattle, New York City. In particular, in New York City and Los Angeles, what has happened? Well, yeah, the homeless population just hangs out and charges their phones, which it's like, wait, you're homeless and you have a phone? Interesting. Interesting. This is where all that change goes to, minutes. Right, yeah, I guess (laughs) so. No, and there are some places, it's just, there's no one-size-fits-all policy. So I think this is a great policy for this Little Caesars, this particular franchise in Fargo, to say, hey, stop dumpster diving. We'll right. give you some food if you're really hungry. I mean, there, <clears throat> there are other countries that it's illegal to throw leftover food away because there are hungry people on the streets. Well, there are places in America, though. And it's it, there. That's a good policy. It is. I like that. But in places like New York and L.A., there's just so much. How do you, how do you People take advantage with of that? it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, no, and I was about to say, there are places in America where it's illegal to feed the homeless. Because you... Where's your license to give food out? Yeah, because I'm just such an evil SOB. I'm giving the homeless and the poor tainted food yeah. to kill them off. What the hell is that? That's one of those things that pisses me off, like needing a license for a kid to have a lemonade stand. Right. It's just like the over-licensing, the control aspect of our governments and our laws that just take away basic human decency, and now it's um, up for litigation and some court to decide. No, that's the problem. I got into this last night, you know, talking about... The Silicon Valley. I got into it with Barron earlier today. Silicon Valley is now creating a social credit system, just like China. The totalitarian government of China has a social credit system. No, no, they're not. It's possible, based on the examples provided, no, they're not. It's possible that, you know, some of the big tech are working with the intelligence community and maybe creating ways of tracking people. That's possible. I don't like that. In fact, I know that's actually what's going on. They have partnerships with like AT&T and Google, the NSA and the CIA does. That's an issue. I don't like that issue. I would love to pull back the surveillance state and how much it is spying on not just Americans, but everybody on the face of the earth. Real bad stuff. But when your example of social credit scores, and this is the angle we didn't get into last night, is... Uber enforcing their own policies that if you're a crap writer, 
Like you constantly are getting into these cars and, and making a mess, being obnoxious, you're drunk all the time. You're not riding well. You're making cars incredibly dirty for the people who are Uber drivers. You're not allowed to use Uber anymore if you keep doing that. Airbnb, same thing. Yeah. Any private business. There was a one example where bars yeah. have a common technology. It's a transaction tech where they scan your ID and you're now in that system. And several bars can use the same system. So if you get kicked out of one bar, say, for groping the ladies on ladies' night, you're not allowed back in this bar. And anybody else that uses that system for scanning licenses can go, oh, yeah, you're flagged at the bar down the street for being a freaking creep. Mm-hmm. We're not letting you in. Or we might let you in. It's up to the discretion of the person that owns the bar. Right. This is how society should work. The idea that everything should be up for democracy, fighting the corporations, is absurd. I want democracy and politics out of my commercial life. Completely. I think that's where we're going way too far. Mm-hmm. Pushing this or that thing. And it'll be up to places like Starbucks to decide what their policy is. Are people taking advantage of that policy? Like, you can come on in, use the bathroom, whatever. Are they abusing that? I heard a story of the kiosk. They have all these, like, uh, smartphone, you know, just phone charging kiosks in New York City. And when they first were put up, people would use them, regular folks. Now it's essentially a camp for the homeless. They just hang out there by them. Yeah. It's free. <clears throat> it's free. And so, yeah, there are, you got to think things through on a local, individual basis. Uh, really, and it's a tune I keep singing over and over again, the more we nationalize every issue under the sun, whether it's certain commercial activity we don't like or it's uh, you know certain policies from the government we don't like, the more we nationalize these issues, I think the worse the outcomes are going to be. I agree. Because it's such a diverse nation with different types of living out there. And I'm not just talking like cultural values. It's just is different to live in rural Wetumpka than it is in New York City. It's mm-hmm. just different. You're going to want different gun regulation. You're going to want uh, different ways, basic ways of interacting with people. I had to get used to it when I went to New York State. I wasn't even near the city. People talk a little faster. They cut each other off a little. It's not rude. It's just not the South. Mm-hmm. There are obviously going to be differences. And society really works on this patchwork of informal rules, as well as private institutions setting different rules that have this constant give and take. And if you are trying to inject into it the government, oh, but it's democratic government, doesn't make it any better. Just because a majority said this is the thing, it's not that, it's a little bit better, but it's not that much better than a monarch or a judge doing it. I'm sorry. It's still in effect the government forcing people to do things. Right. I don't think the government should have any have any, any fingers at all in any of the commercial aspects of life. Like, um, I take my daughter halfway. I meet them. They live in Andalusia. We live in Montgomery. And I meet them halfway. And sometimes I'll I'll use Google Maps to see, you know, what traffic looks like right and i got to thinking about it the other day i was like there's an accident ahead like four miles ahead and traffic starting to slow down how do they know and it's because they're constantly monitoring the phones and the apps and the people give permission to google to do that 
So, like, yeah. if everybody's phone's being monitored and 14 phones within a certain proximity go from traveling at 65 miles an hour to 14 miles an hour, there's an issue and all that kind of stuff. And and that's, I don't think people... Realize how much information they're giving right. up. Yeah, I agree. But on the on the flip side, I think people also know what they like and are generally willing to give up the information yeah. for for the benefit the convenience right yeah and you know i don't have a problem with convenience like people get all mad at targeted ads cuz they're reading you know the data that you produce mm-hmm. companies are targeting you based on the data you produce i don't mind that like okay whoop a company that does like the bands that check your heart rate and how well you're recovering from workouts and that they're now advertising at me. I was actually thinking about buying a Whoop and now it's popping up on my feed. And they know that because I searched for it. Right. And I'm fine with that because it's like, great. Like I was, I'm interested in this. How dare they show me things I might be interested in? Now there's other stuff they show me that I'm like, what the hell is that? I don't need that. Yeah. Like, uh, there's novelty crap that I really enjoy. Like, I like the weird, you know, touch of modern stuff. I can't afford it, but it's cool to look at. Like, weird-looking lamps and phone chargers and, like, a paperweight that's like a perpetual motion machine. Those Mm -hmm. sorts of things are kind of... They interest me. I like those little knickknacks. But in general, where I have a problem is when you have government inject itself. And it seems to be a distinction constantly lost on people. Corporations do a lot of bad things, but they're nowhere near as bad as the government. Right. And I'm not saying everybody in government's bad. I'm saying the very institution itself is prone because it has the ability and the impunity to pull it off to abuse your rights and control you. Whereas a corporation might try to do that, but as soon as you catch wind of it, you're going to be real pissed off and you're going to raise hell. And they're going to have to change their ways or they're going to lose customers. And I also think technology constantly is outpacing these big behemoths we're so worried about. I think big data collection, like all these servers Google has, uh, look up George Gilder. I talked about it last week. He really thinks, and I tend to agree with him, that blockchain technology will make an end round around this whole idea of one server or several massive servers that crunch all this data and give you answers. I think blockchain is going to give you a way to surf the internet and engage in the digital world while maintaining your privacy and your data. Mm-hmm. And you're, you can allow it if you want people to see it. But in general, I think the future is bright. We're, it, it's you know I'm supposed to be the cynical one, Eric. <laughs> and the more I look at the world, I'm like, yes, there are a lot of big problems. But I think the biggest problem is that the philosophy of liberalism not that word has been so butchered and perverted especially in the 20th century but the old school classical liberal what founded the country peace liberty equality let people trade as they wish that's constantly under attack now from both parties and you've know, got socialism on the left and nationalism on the right and nationalism is different than just basic patriotism folks so it, and it's constantly oh no this new thing is going to control us and maybe this heightened sense of worry helps us keep at bay the really bad things. Fair enough. There's even a positive side to our pessimism. Um, but the more I research where the world's going, how we're dealing with things, I'm very optimistic. Not like, oh, 
everything's always going to be wonderful, but in general, we'll face suffering, we'll face challenges, we'll face tragedies, really difficult problems that seem insurmountable, and we'll, over, we'll eventually overcome them. And if we don't, we don't. But I generally think life is getting better. And that's part of why a lot of the arguments you see online and a lot of the, the shrill tone of cable news and all this stuff, the reason it's so shrill and petty and whatnot is because life's pretty good. Mm-hmm. To get you to pay attention, it has to be this really negative, over-the-top pronouncement for you to even look at it. Because if they actually told you the truth, that life generally, in the long run, is getting better and better and better, who wants to hear that? Yep. Who wants to hear that the plane landed on time? Only the people really flying it and the people picking up the folks from the airport. That's about it. Yep. That's not a news story. that We want to hear when the plane crashes. And when it crashes into the ocean, we're not sure what happened. We want the mystery. We want the drama. We want the death. Death and destruction. It bleeds. It leads, baby. Uh, but here we got to hit a break. This is by far one of my favorite original Stevie Ray Vaughan songs. Uh, Lenny. It's just a guitar instrumental. He's got, he's just got one of those talents. Like, I'm sure, like, I feel like he could play anything and you could tell that it was him playing it. And it's why I like Prince. It's why I like him. I understand music a little bit. I understand, like, where he's coming from. But he takes it to a whole other level within that mode that it's like... How do, you, how do you do it? Like, I understand the keys he's playing in and the scales he's playing in, but I don't get how he's doing it to make it sing so much. It's just incredible stuff. Shame that he died too early. Yep. All the good ones seem to. Always too early. But here, we got to hit this break. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Coming up, well, a terrible story about a legal 10-year green card resident from Jamaica who went to visit jamaica like he does every year he came back with some honey and then according to customs and the government well he did a very very bad thing turns out they did a very very bad thing more after the break joey clark Bond and Voodoo Child from Austin, Texas. Yeah, I was watching last night uh, some sound checks he was doing in a recording studio. Really, it's just him playing his guitar, not trying to impress anybody, just trying to get the sound down. And just again, there are people that are like on a different level. It's yeah. not just music. It's like. Do you not understand how incredible what you just did was? And, you know, it's what I do. And again, for somebody to get that sound, you can get the same exact guitar, same exact distortion pedals, wah pedal, everything, amp, and you're not going to sound like it. Nope. 
It's how hard he hit the strings. It's like the action on it. There's something unique to his playing, and that's that's what I love. And life in general. I was just telling you off air. You can have all the music theory you want, all the political theory you want, all the economic theory you want. Theory's a good thing. I respect theory. I tell I went to school for political theory. I like that stuff. But it never holds a candle to the people that are actually creatives. That and the human mind I don't think will ever be replaced. All this worry about AI and technology taking over. I don't think the human mind will ever be replaced. Yes, it's prone to be dumb and do all sorts of mistakes, so to speak. But if you look at it, that as a learning experience, not a mistake. Um, I think you'll find that, oh, well, okay, you learn. The, the brain is also wired in such a way that there is no way any AI ever, I think, would be able to make connections between things that the human brain can make. No, not, nowhere near at this point. What they found is, is when they were trying to recreate the brain with computers, with artificial intelligence, is that the brain needs a body. Like, you can't just have this completely removed from the human experience. No, it needs some sort of physical presence in the world in order to understand where it's moving, why it's doing what it's doing. Like, it gets so complicated. Right. And your central nervous system, your thinking isn't just in your head, folks. Your brain is every nerve in your body. It is your heart, in a way. It is, like, it's, it's a very complicated system. And we try to you know, create these shorthands in order to, to do things that the brain does. And some of them work, and some of them are great. I mean, new technology coming out on, like, automated driving cars. It's amazing stuff. But it's not the same thing as the human mind working mm. at its best. But I promised before the break, well, some government agents and the human mind working in a very wrong, wrong way, in a rules-based way. This guy named Leon... He's a legal green card holder from Jamaica. He's lived in Maryland for almost 10 years. He arrived at Baltimore Washington International Airport on December 29th, following his yearly pilgrimage back home to Jamaica. U.S. Customs and Border Protection detained him. For what, he wasn't sure. Maryland Transportation Authority police then arrested him telling him that the bottles in his bag labeled honey had tested positive for meth. A police dog had apparently sniffed his bag, raising suspicion that he had drugs. In a field test, Mm -mm. these are some of my favorite and least favorite stories to cover, these drug field tests. A field test at the airport yielded positive results for meth. He spent the next 82 days in jail. Here's the thing, though, folks. The bottles really were full of honey. Maryland State Police lab test results confirmed that on January the 17th. And prosecutors dropped three felony drug counts six days later. Six days later. Yet, Leon stayed in jail. The state was still pursuing a misdemeanor possession charge the lab results notwithstanding, because Maryland's lab is not fully equipped to test liquids. On January 24th, Leon and his lawyers sought his immediate release on bail, and it was denied. Citing the canine hit and the positive field test, prosecutors maintained the lesser charge while law enforcement sent the bottles to a Homeland Security lab in Georgia for more testing. Normally, Leon would have been released on his own 
Reconnaissance. Recognizance. Recognizance? Yeah, reconnaissance is a different thing. <laughs> like I said, the human brain makes mistakes, folks. Uh, since the charges levied against him had whittled down to one misdemeanor. But the original felony counts triggered an active ICE detainer. So if the state released him, the feds could arrest and deport him. His legal saga took place in the midst of the winter's lengthy government shutdown, meaning that no one could get in touch with the agency to have the detainer lifted. The ICE detainer is really prohibitive, said Laura Robinson, a U.S. District Court judge. (sighs) Anyway, this guy is held in jail forever and forever because, wrongfully, they say the honey he's just trying to bring back from home is meth. Mm. And it's not meth. It's kind of like the guys in South Carolina pulled the guy over and said, what's that white substance on the hood of your car? He's like, I don't know, bird crap. They test it. Sir, this is cocaine. I suspected you. You, you, we never, you thought we would never think that you would keep your cocaine hidden in plain view like it's bird poop. But in fact, it is cocaine. You're going to jail. Yeah, Tuss coming back from the lab. Not cocaine. It's just mm-hmm. bird crap. Like, this keeps happening over and there was a story we covered where it's like, you have cocaine and meth in your car. No, it was literally laundry detergent. I have failed drug <sighs> tests. Because my sugar was too high. Really? Yeah, and there were too many ketones in my urine, and it caused a false positive. Well, and this is where, again, technology is always changing. Technology is great. But when the government steps in and starts using tech and tests that aren't actually proving, mm-hmm. without beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100% of the time, then a lot of innocent people get chewed up in the legal system for no good reason. I mean, there are people that were, because of really terrible uh, DNA forensics with hair and whatnot, facing punishment for crimes like murder and whatnot. Oh, the DNA was on the scene. What was wrong? And you combine that with overzealous prosecutors that want another notch on their belt. It's just absurd how far the government uh, can go. And it, it drives me up a wall. Uh, the constant pessimism towards commercial activity, private organizations, people just being able to police and govern themselves for the most part, is now being given up to really what are just other people with power. That's all the government is. Mm-hmm. Other people with power who are, you know, being that they're people and they have human nature like the rest of us, prone to abuse it. <sighs> It's always a question who will guard the guards. Now, this is a creepy story, Eric. Rodney Alcala? You know that name? Nope. He was a serial killer. And he became known as the dating game killer. For most people, September 13th, 1978 was an ordinary Wednesday. But for Cheryl Bradshaw... The bachelorette, bachelorette, God, what a long day! The bachelorette. Oh, you should have, you should have quit when you said. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Anyway, she's some single gal on the TV show, uh, the dating game, in '78. It was a momentous day for her. From the lineup of eligible bachelors. She chose handsome bachelor number one, Rodney Alcala. 
But at that very moment, he was keeping a deadly secret. He was an unrepentant serial killer. <laughs> Gotta watch out, ladies. That suave, just dapper guy. Kind of good looking. He's, he's a little aloof and pensive, but he's, you know, that means he's a mystery to figure out. He might be a serial killer. <laughs> if Cheryl, if not for a healthy jolt of her own you know, female intuition, would have almost certainly been remembered today as one of his victims. Instead, after the show ended, she conversed with Alcala backstage. He offered her a date she'd never forget. But Bradshaw got the feeling that her handsome potential suitor was a little bit off. I started to feel ill. She told the Sydney Telegraph in 2012. He was acting really creepy. I turned down his offer. I didn't want to see him again. <laughs> Another one of the episode's bachelors, uh, Jed Mills, he's an actor. He recalled to LA Weekly that Rodney was kind of quiet. I remember him because I told my brother about this one guy who was kind of good looking, but also kind of creepy. He was always looking down and not making eye contact. Had the popular dating show performed background checks on their bachelors, they would have discovered that this kind of good-looking but kind of creepy guy had already spent three years in prison for raping and beating an eight-year-old girl. Really? That's who you put on a dating game show. A guy who's actually spent prison time. Why was he not in prison for longer, too? This is what drives me nuts. Now, this is 78, different time long time ago. But we're not just locking people in jail because a field test says, you know, bird poop is coke and honey is methamphetamine. But, you know, this guy rapes and beats an eight-year-old girl. Yeah, three years, sir. We're not perfect by any means. That was crazy. And it is a weird dynamic. What is it? Uh, is it Dahmer? Like, these serial killers that essentially have, like, they're good looking and they have these female fan bases. Mm -hmm. Like, what the hell is that? Like, as a fairly nice guy, I can be a bit of an ass uh, and a bit aloof, and I don't make it much eye contact. Oh, no. I'm kind of <laughs> quiet. No. Uh, I just don't have that, that killer instinct, folks, or you better watch out. No, it's just, it's bizarre that what people are attracted to, to their own detriment. Why is it that, I mean, I, 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 I'm thinking in my head, why is it that they have this charm? But I realize now that it's it, they don't have the charm. They make the charm to get what they want. Exactly. And They literally seduce people, so, not for the usual reason you seduce yeah, people. But. All the rest of us just have to try not to be too nice or too charming. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Dexter when you need him? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, the latest ridiculous thing coming from presidential candidates is from Bonnie Sanders. Hello, Eric. How are you? <laughs> his own admission, by his own admission, Bernie Sanders isn't really a dyed-in-the-wool socialist who wants the state to actually own the means of production, but he still wants the government to be very much in the mix of just about every sort of business that gets transacted, which is... A type of socialism that is usually associated that sort of economic system where no you can still own your business but we're going to tell you how to run your business what your business can do um some might call it fascism but it's democratic socialism sure 
He now wants to bring his genius, Bernie does, not to the realm of health care or energy, which he essentially admitted he pretty much wants to nationalize the energy industry. That'll work out well, folks. No, he's now talking about journalism. He wants to regulate the media. There's a thing called the First Amendment, Bernie! But writing in Columbia Journalism Review, the self-proclaimed voice of journalism, this publication, you gotta love that, Sanders has unveiled a plan that would halt all media mergers if his administration believes they would reduce the number of journalists employed, adversely affect other, and also adversely affect people of color and women. Of course, of course, because we're such a patriarchal, racist nation. Or if it concentrates ownership in fewer hands, which is sort of the basic goal of you know mergers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sanders says that Facebook and Google have monopolistic control of online advertising because between them, they account for 60% of the entire digital advertising market. Wait, no, but that's two different companies that have 60%. So really, who has 30? Is it even 30 for each company? Who, where's the other 40 coming from, Bernie? And he swears that, quote, after decades of consolidation and deregulation, just a handful of companies control almost everything you watch, read, and download. President Donald Trump's authoritarian bullying of the media is totally unacceptable, writes Bernie Sanders. And he says, we should uh, you know, not do this. Uh, but we want even more of the free press to be put... We, we should not, he says, we should not want even more of the free press to be put under the control of a handful of corporations and benevolent billionaires who can use their media empires to punish their critics and shield themselves from scrutiny. When I am president, my administration will put in place policies that will reform the media industry and better protect independent journalism at both the local and national level. So when Trump calls out Jeff Bezos... For publishing fake news at the Washington Post and threatens Bezos with libel and other actions, he's an authoritarian bully who must be stopped. But when Bernie Sanders does the exact same thing, he is a savior to an industry that has arguably been battered more by creative destruction of the market than any other industry in the past 25 years or so. Sanders' distress over media consolidation rings hollow not simply because he merely rehashes old, played-out perennial complaints. We all remember back in 2000 when the merger of AOL and Time Warner spelled the absolute doom of the independent press? Yeah. Better yet, can you even remember AOL or Time Magazine once massive presences in the media that are now desecrated ruins of their former selves? At a point when traditional broadcast TV and radio, unfortunately, we don't have as much pull as we used to. Is the solution really to have the right type and number of people, however defined, own the appropriate number of stations? Does anyone in their right mind think that Sanders does? That a targeted tax on online advertising and tech companies will actually work to fund independent public media? And this is back to a point we were making earlier, Eric. Like, how the hell, where does Bernie Sanders know what the exact number of journalists should be? He doesn't. Right. He doesn't. He may think he does, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't. And it's malarkey. It doesn't help that Sanders wraps up all this crap in a populist billionaire baiting rhetoric he covers in everything. 
It's like ideological maple syrup, but it's not really all that sweet. It's an unprecedented power grab, essentially what Sanders wants to do. And this is where we just, we got to watch it. I'm so, I, I'm, I'm going to admit it. I'm tired as hell of populism. Mm-hmm. The people will rise up and make everything great. No, what you're going to do is you're going to kick out the old bums and become even worse than them. Sorry yep. for getting a little fired up there, but that's usually how it works. Like, we're going to get rid of the establishment and all their crap. And you just become the new establishment doing the same or similar crap. It's just ridiculous. If only we could get the people to treat the government like they treat Google mm-hmm. or Facebook. Mm-hmm. It like um, constantly I, saying I I can't even think of whatever that the social thing that Google was trying to do. Oh, Google Plus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that didn't it's work well. Like, yeah, it didn't work well. People <laughs> didn't like it. No, no, it's not that good. I tried right. using it. I was annoyed with it. Right. And like I'm the, as the days go on, I'm less and <clears> less uh, interested in Facebook. I I don't use it as much as I did. Uh, I don't hardly use Twitter. Like, one big tech company that I like is Amazon because I bought a lot of stuff from them and their customer service when things have gone wrong has been great. I was telling you that Mm -hmm. off air before the show. I just don't understand this rush to go to big daddy government to save you by tying you up. Well, excuse me. Mm -mm. Phrasing, Joey. (laughs) Phrasing. Government is not your friend, even if it's run by the right people. You know, somebody a long time ago said something to me, Eric, my good friend John. He said, uh, you know, Joey, conservatives don't hate the government like you do. And I don't really hate the government. I just know what it is, what it's prone to do today and in history. But they don't really hate the government. Conservatives don't really hate the government the way you do, Joey. They just hate government that isn't theirs to command. I was like, John, I don't, I don't know about that. That's pretty cynical, bro. And now that Republicans ran things for a few years, there's a Republican in the White House, Republican Senate, especially given that there's a Republican in the White House. Oh, how true that is. Mm-hmm. I wish people could consistently, and you better believe it's the same thing for the left. I'm not just picking on conservatives, but the left at least is like, we love government. It's just like a big social club. There's no violence involved with government. There's no bossing people around. (laughs) No. You should look at government, in my opinion, folks, as a mechanism to punish people. And there's a role for punishment in society. There really is. Like, did you steal something? Did you hurt somebody? All sorts of things. Yep. But are you going to punish your way to a good education system? Probably not. Probably not. Are you going to punish your way to great health care? Mm, I doubt it. If you threaten enough people with legal sanction, are you going to have a great journalism sector? No. Nope. <laughs> no, you're probably going to chill free speech if you do something like that. It's just a a weird time where the society, at least the discourse around it, becomes more and more political. Populism on the left and the right against socialism and nationalism rising up against 
Well, what they have in common is that in order to get our things done, there's a price tag. It's called your liberty. And really, we're going to free you, Eric. We're going to free all of you, America, by tying your hands and putting, like, guardrails around everything you do. I feel like Bernie Sanders' future vision of us is along the lines of Demolition Man. Mm. Demolition Man? Yeah. It's been a while since I've watched that. Pods on the wall give you tickets for cursing. <laughs> Every restaurant is Taco Bell. That's what's going on in China. Yeah. And it could happen here in America if we let the government do it. And if we constantly are trying to conform to the party. You know, we got two, not just one, like it is in China, but we need more than two. I think we should just get back to, you know, local government, liberty, federalism, not the federal government running things. Just peace, liberty, equality. Yep. It works pretty well. It's not perfect. It's not utopia. People make all sorts of dumb mistakes. I make mistakes all the time, but at least I have the liberty to make them and bear the consequences for them. Yes. That's what we need to get back to. Well, Eric, thanks for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening, folks. I'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.